Welcome, everyone, to the Great A Movies Podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. It's a podcast and a video recording all at the same time. Uh, I'm the host, and, of course, as always, we have Alec Toombs and Adam Awesome, the two people who write for GreatAMovies.com. Alec, good to talk to you again. Thanks, Larry. Good to be here. And, Adam, always great to talk to you, and I'm glad you got through your move from one home to another uh, unscathed. Good to see you. If... Uh, I mean, I got new Wi-Fi in a new place, so for some reason I go out, I apologize. <laughs> Everything's good so far. We're really happy to have as our guest today Christopher Lloyd. Chris Chris has joined uh, Adam and myself on numerous occasions. We're really glad to have him here with our new uh, Great A Movies podcast and video production. Uh, Christopher Lloyd is one of the co-founders of the local film review site, filmyap.com. Although we encourage you to go to greatamovies.com, we think you should not leave out filmyap.com. Both are great uh, sites if you like film and want to read reviews and information about film. Uh, Chris is also a founding member of the Indiana Film Journalists Association, which I assume at uh, some point in the near future we'll have there best of for the year of 2020 this very strange year chris uh, lloyd thank you very much for joining us thanks for being here glad to be back uh yeah actually it'll be the december 21st is when ifga will come out with its awards we're excited about that uh i'm also getting ready to vote for the critics choice awards formerly known as the broadcast film critics association uh since i'm on also on wish tv on indie style every friday yeah, so I got lots of movies to watch and lots of. Actually, I voted just last night uh, in the Critics' Choice Super Awards, which is they keep creating like these new separate award events. So this is like superhero action, science fiction, horror movies. So yeah, I got lots of voting to go to do. I don't know. People like award shows. They like award lists. I guess they they continue to grow, and I'm glad you're a part of it. It's good to hear that. We're going to talk about a few movies we've seen recently. We've got a couple of other items on the agenda for today. Uh, a film I just saw last night and posted. I, I, I couldn't wait to put my review up, so I posted it late last night. The movie is Mank, M-A-N-K, and it's about a man named Herman Mankiewicz who... Uh, depending on how you, uh, which story you believe and how you look at history, may or may not have written most of the uh, screenplay for the famous film Citizen Kane. So I think we've all, but uh, Alec, have seen that. Uh, so uh, let me start with Adam. Adam, uh, you've seen Mank. Uh, tell me what you thought of the film. Are, are you there, Adam? Yeah, I'm sorry. I just said getting spotty here and there. Okay, so, so uh, talk about my the thoughts on Mank. Right. Yeah, just to let us know what you thought so, of the film, Mank. Uh, I think it's a nice. Yeah, it's a it's a nice love letter to old Hollywood, which, let's be honest, has been done before. It feels like Oscar loves to have to reward uh, the artist or uh, Argo or, you know, La La Land. Uh, the films that, that honor the old films seem to get respect year after year. Uh, but Mank is really well done. David Fincher is uh, one of the best directors without an Academy Award win to his name. Uh, he's done a great job with films like Zodiac, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, The Social Network, um, even things that are more genre pieces, he always does an excellent job. Uh, the lighting and the cinematography is excellent. The music by Trent Reznor, you might know from Nine Inch Nails, is great. Uh, and the screenplay, actually written by David F 
Fincher's now passed away father is excellent. Um, you could tell from the movie uh, that this is an ode to writers. So anyone out there who's a writer can show the the love for writers uh, in this movie. And that probably comes from the fact that David Fincher's dad was a writer and he's kind of paying respect to that. Um, I think I've seen some people be critical of this movie. Uh, maybe it's a little slow for them, a little dry for them. It won't be for everybody. But to me, it's uh, no slower or drier than Roma that came out a few years ago, which was universally praised. So uh, I think Mank is among the 10 best movies of the year. Uh, whether I think it is, should win an Oscar uh, or Best Picture, that'll be up to others to decide. But uh, in a year full of, uh, or not full, I guess, of uh, a lot of great options this year, uh, this one definitely stands out among the best. Yeah, it's about writers, not only about writers, but about the flaws of writers and how they still somehow get their manuscripts done uh, with everything else they're dealing with. Uh, Chris, I just kind of saw you on social media. You like this film. Talk about uh, your view on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm even higher than Adam is. Like right now, and granted, we're recording this on December 5th, so there's still a lot of movies to see. But right now, it's my top two for the year. Probably haven't, you know, still things are moving around, but between this one and uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom for my favorite film of the year at the moment. Uh, yeah, Hollywood absolutely likes to make movies about Hollywood. Um, the, and it's strange, you know, the earlier views on this were pretty universally um, um, rapturous. And then we've kind of seen like a second wave of reviews coming on now that are much more critical and oh, dismissive would be the word uh, I would use. Um, kind of reminds me a lot of the reception of Green Book from a few years ago, which a movie I just absolutely loved. And there was just sort of like, almost like a backlash against it. Um, yeah, you know, people say it, it, it's an Oscar Beatty movie where, you know, it obviously seems like made in the performance by Gary Oldman is obviously an Oscar alum and it just sort of seems like the sort of thing that they're making to be that prestigious. Um, it has, it has that Oscar pedigree. Um, and that's absolutely all that is true, but that doesn't take away from the fact that I think it's just masterfully well done. It's a little longer than it needs to be a thing I common commonly say about movies right now, but uh, terrific cast all around. Um, in addition to Gary Oldman, Amanda Seyfried, who's a young actress who's been around for a bit. Um, and I've honestly never been terribly impressed with her. And I thought this was a real breakthrough role for her doing something really different and subtle um, and charismatic in a different sort of way, kind of playing this character who's maybe like a little bit, you know, fingernails on a chalkboard at first. And then you kind of see the different layers of her, like going into an onion, great looking film. Um, I mean, what can I say? It's a movie I loved watching. Uh, and when there's so many movies that are trying to teach you something or, or, or tell you something or get you to think something, here's a movie that just lays out a great story uh, about the making of Citizen Kane. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely a terrific, terrific film. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you, Chris. Uh, I, there are a few films that I see anymore where I can say I absolutely loved every minute of watching it. I mean, every frame. Yeah, you could you could argue it's too long. I thought it was okay the length of it. I think every, I wouldn't ta I wouldn't cut anything out of it myself. Yeah. But uh, it had to be done in black and white too. And you know there are studios that that fight that these days. But uh, Fincher won that war, and and it, this had to be in black and white to get that feel of the 1930s and, and 40s uh, Hollywood. Yeah. I didn't think it was super overlong. It wasn't like the Irishman or <laughs> uh, 
what was the Tarantino, the true story once upon a time in Hollywood. Yes. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you could easily lop a half hour, 45 minutes out of those movies and make them much better. I didn't feel that way about Mank. I, I, I just a few scenes that lingered a little here and there, you know, probably like five or eight minutes. You could, you could snip out of this movie. Uh, yeah. A very different film for David Fincher. Not the sort of thing that you really sort of, to me, expect him to kind of do. He's, you know, a little more like modern stories. He kind of tends to be a little more uh, aggressive in his storytelling, a little bit more edgy. Um, and so it's definitely, and he mentioned the, the the story of his father writing the screenplay. This is his father's, his father's actually been dead for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is his father's first and only screenplay that was published, uh, produced. Uh, so that's a pretty amazing story right there. So if he if he does end up getting nominated, I think there'll be a strong nostalgic pull for the the father and son. Well, and Adam is right that uh, Hollywood loves films about Hollywood, even if it's history. And I think it may be the only film where I've ever seen William Randolph Hearst referred to as Willie. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. you know, there were some things, and they were trying to uh, portray, you know, the. Uh, Louis Mayers and David O. Selznick. We've seen that kind of thing before, but it wasn't overdone. It was just small parts of a of a story that sort of fit into the the general story. I gave this uh, film an A minus. I absolutely loved it, uh, and I would certainly encourage people to see it. It as we record this, it is in a few theaters and is now on Netflix, which is where I watched it last night. So, um, Mank is a film I would recommend. I think uh, Chris would agree with me, and uh, Adam, you'd say it's okay. Is that Fair to say? No, I, I say it's one of the top 10 best okay, films so you're, of the year. So you're right. With so. All three of us are, are a big uh, thumbs up recommend, let, uh, recommendation to go see that film. Let's go to our next film, which is Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, Alec, I know you've seen that film. Tell me uh, what you thought of it. Yeah, this is going to be fun. I think it's going to be like a two-man 80s-style uh, cage match here with Chris and I versus <laughs> the two of you. I actually thought the movie was pretty good. I maybe went in with diminished expectations, having heard so many people's negative reactions to it. I thought the performances by the two lead actresses were outstanding. I thought uh, Gabriel Basso, the young man who was in it, did a really good job. I found the movie uh, moving. In some ways, sadly, it kind of reminded me of some elements of my own family. Maybe that helped me enjoy the movie better. But uh, I I thought it was pretty good. Well, let me go to Adam. Your thoughts on Hillbilly Elegy. So I liked it. I wouldn't say I loved it. Uh, I think Ron Howard is one of the most overrated directors in Hollywood. I'll say that. Uh, His lone Oscar win for Beautiful Mind, I think Beautiful Mind is one of the most undeserving best picture winners in history. Uh, Ron Howard's done some good movies. Uh, You know, I I enjoy Apollo 13. Um, But uh, he's gotten some uh prestige that I don't think he deserves as a director. As a producer, he's produced some good movies. I love Arrested Development as a TV show, too. But um, this film is really the two performances by Amy Adams and Glenn Close. Both will get Oscar nominations. There's a chance that one or both could win. But if Amy Adams or Glenn Close win an Oscar, it will be a legacy Oscar because of all of the times they've been nominated and probably deserved to win and didn't. I think Glenn Close right now, is she the most nominated actor or actress without a win, I think, right now? And I think Amy Adams is not too far behind. Uh, I think they each have at least five nominations without a win. Um, And they both have done great work. If they win this, this will be like Al Pacino winning for Scent of a Woman. Mm -hmm. That was by clearly not Al Pacino's best performance. 
but you know you don't want Al Pacino to go to his grave without an Oscar win. Uh, Hillbilly Elegy is a good movie. It does not deserve the hatred that it got. Larry tore into it. Uh, he uh, Larry hated the film. He had to take a bath after seeing it. Um, but uh, no, it's it's an okay movie. I think this is my theory why some people don't like it. I'm not saying this about Larry. I wouldn't say this about you, Larry. But uh, I think there's some political element because the book for this movie was used to explain why Donald Trump won in 2016, uh, especially in areas that traditionally voted Democrat before or had voted for Barack Obama. Uh, they explained that some of the factory workers who had lost their jobs or some of the, the rural white Americans um, kind of some of their feelings. The book itself is really more sociology than story. There's his, yeah, we're starting to you're starting to break up a little bit. Guys, life on sociology classes. Yeah, you're starting to break so, up. We're starting to break up a little um, bit. That might cause some of the. Yeah, uh, I was saying some of the book. Uh, the book kind of hit on political elements that may have turned some people away from the movie. Director Ron Howard has stated that uh, he did not put politics into this movie, so that might explain some of the backlash. So I know that you're high on the film, uh, Christopher Lloyd. Uh, tell us why. I, I'm medium high. I'm kind of like uh, with Alec, you know, a solidly good, not great movie. Um, I, I agree about the political backlash. The, the early reviews on this were, were just absolutely scathing. I mean, just it, there was like this real establishment critics came out very early and often to deride this movie. I'm looking right now on the Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter. It's still at 25% among critics, which is, you know, that's terrible. Um, and uh, but it has an 83% uh, audience approval. So that's one of those classic, uh, more a movie that audiences will like, uh, I think, than critics. Um, it, it definitely has its problems. The main problem is the main character, and this is no reflection on uh, Gabriel Basso. I think it's just the way it's written. The main character is almost always the least interesting guy in any scene that he's in. Um, he's just sort of this, you know, generic, uh, you know, lantern-jawed guy who's trying to do the right thing despite all of his uh, uh, adversities and coming from this uh, background, which, you know, uh, really was not as poverty-stricken as he makes it, as made out in the book or, or in the movie. Um, he actually grew up, spent most of his uh, upbringing in, in Ohio, not in Kentucky. Um, but so it's a movie you definitely see for Glenn Close and Amy Adams, uh, just masterful performances, particularly Glenn Close. Um, so someone asked, so she's been nominated for an Oscar seven times without winning Amy Adams six times. Um, although I hate to say it with Glenn Close's age, she's in her seventies, you know, she's not going to get a lot more shots to win an Oscar. Um, and yeah, it would sort of be, I, I, I would say for Amy, it would be that sort of makeup Oscar, um, like when Paul Newman won um, for The Color of Money rather than The Verdict or any of his other great films. Um, for Glenn Close, no, I would say if she... Um, I would say if Glenn Close wins... I would say if Glenn Close wins... She definitely deserves it. because it's, it's definitely a really deserves it because it's, it's a really great... Okay, so we're getting some feedback here. I think we're hearing him talk, and so if you've got a speaker on, uh, maybe somebody can uh, find a way to, to get that turned off. So what I'm hearing you say, Chris, is that you like the film. Uh, you like a lot of aspects of it, and I think you're right about the Amy Adams-Glenn Close situation. And I, I also agree with you when you talk about the, the main character, 
really never getting a chance to develop from the, the, the point of view of who wrote the script. I walked into this film really wanting to like it. I was uh, I, I almost hate to be with the establishment of the critical <laughs> of the critics anymore, but I, I I just watched this film and I I just don't think it's it kind of gets back to what a couple of you said. I, I don't think it it's the way that things would work if someone uh, from a middle to lower class background goes to Yale Law School. I mean, they would have problems, not exactly the way it was portrayed in this film and you're right i think it was actually that the film did try to portray the fact that the the main character lived in middletown ohio but he seemed to have more affinity to his relatives uh who are living uh, you know in the rural areas of kentucky uh appalachia you know he visited them in the summer and seemed to have better memories of that so i think that's where all that came from uh, but I, you know, I've got relatives uh, who live in rural areas, and uh, some of this, uh, especially the drug issues and so forth, I, you know, it's, it's it's something you do see there, and it's a real situation. I my disappointment with the film that it didn't get developed well, and I agree that the two performances you mentioned from Glenn Close and Amy Adams are definitely worth recognition. Um, I, I'm sorry to say, I, I just found the film lacking. And uh, again, I almost hate to be with the establishment critics. But in this case, I, I do have to say, I, I gave it a D plus just because I, I can't recommend it to people. But it's not an awful film. I got taken to task pretty badly on Facebook. One of your colleagues, Adam, Laura, was it Laura Campbell, really let me have it. But that's okay. Uh, that's what films are about. We all have our own views on that. So uh, I think we've all kind of laid out uh, Hillbilly Elegy. I think uh, it's it's part of the whole discussion the country is having about it. Have any? I did not get a chance to read the book it was based on. Have any of you read the book it was based on? I have uh, Nobody. I am curious about one thing though. How yeah. can Ron Howard make a movie called Hillbilly Elegy and not put Clint Howard in it? Yeah, he puts him in every <laughs> single one of his movies. That's and question. he would be a great hillbilly. Well, yeah. where is he? <laughs> I, I can't argue with that one. Uh, any other comments about hillbilly elegy before we move on here? No. Okay, let's go on. I'm going to ask each of you just to talk about uh, any other films you've seen recently that you think that uh, might be worth mentioning. Alec, I'll start with you. I mean, I've been watching a lot and reviewing a lot. I'm not sure how many of them are, are, are worth mentioning or recommending to other folks. Um it's a lot of swings and misses for me lately. Movies I've enjoyed mildly, though. Um, I did review one for Grade A and the Film Yap, and Chris was kind enough to provide me with a uh, screener of it uh, for a movie called Buddy Games. Very juvenile movie. It's directorial debut of actor Josh Dumel. Um, pretty good cast in the movie. Olivia Munn's in it. Dax Shepard. Kevin Dillon. Uh, the comedian Nick Swardson, who I think is funny, but used uh, better in small doses. And I think he's used perfectly in this movie and is really, really funny in it. Okay, let me move to Adam. Anything you've seen other than what we discussed already that uh, you think is worth mentioning one way or the other? So it just came out Friday on uh, Amazon Prime. It's been in theaters, but The Sound of Metal is right now my favorite movie of 2020. Uh, it's an interesting story about a heavy metal drummer who loses his hearing, and he's also a recovering addict. And now he has to adjust to his new way of life. He's angry. Um, he wants to get his hearing back. He also finds acceptance within the deaf community. Um, it's been praised by those with hearing issues as being very realistic, especially of its portrayal of cochlear implants. 
Um, the sound design for the movie should get Oscar nominated. Riz Ahmed uh, should be nominated for Best Actor for his performance. Um, he gives a performance that uh, really one of the best I've seen in a while. Um, and if you thought Hillbilly Elegy was over the top and uh, kind of overacting, you will love uh, Sound of uh, Metal. It's subtle. It's realistic. Um, the only thing is, if you want a lot of heavy metal scenes, it's not really a movie about music. So you might be disappointed there. Let me uh, move to Christopher Lloyd. Chris, you've... Um... You already mentioned Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I have not had a chance to see that yet, but I'm really looking forward to seeing you. Tell us uh, about that film. Yeah, so it is uh, based on the August Wilson play. Um, and you may remember that the Denzel Washington launched this um, effort where he was going to produce um, basically all of the August Wilson plays, You know, even if it took him 20 years to do it. And some he stars in and some he doesn't. And this is about uh, Ma Rainey. He was a real blues giant singer from back in the day. Uh, and Chadwick, played by Viola Davis, and Chadwick Boseman plays sort of like the young, uppity cornet player who's in her band and wants to go off and do his own thing and make his own music, um, and Coleman Domingo and some other terrific actors in it. And it's all set around the making of a single record. This is be like the white establishment is trying to get Ma Rainey to make records. I think, I'm trying to remember the exact timeline of when the movie is set. I want to say 30s, 20s or 30s. Um, but uh, so it's just this, this great... Uh, clash of these characters where Ma Rainey is just this sort of really you know, almost uh, queen-like figure who actually just looks down on everyone because of the way she's been treated her whole life. Uh, and Chadwick Boseman playing the, the, the young, striving guy. Uh, just, you know, terrific dialogue, terrific performances, music, the whole package. Love that movie. Yeah, the 20s and 30s were really special years for the blues and jazz and all that. So that's one reason I was very much looking forward to seeing this film. So based on what you've said, it gives me even more incentive to, to do that. I want to talk and ask each of you about a recent development in the film business. I'm somebody going all the way, you know, I'm, I'm probably the oldest in the crowd. I'm, I'm 69, so I've loved going to movie theaters since I was a kid in the 50s. And I still love going to movie theaters. So the question that's come up is what is the future of the movie theater? What kind of business model are we going to see moving forward? The reason that question is being asked is because Warner Brothers announced that they are going to put all of their new films in 2021 on HBO Max the same day they are in theaters. This is a very big change in the paradigm of how films are rolled out. Now, it is one studio, but all the other studios are looking carefully at this model. I'm going to start with, with Chris. When you heard this news, uh, tell me your reaction, what, how you think this may impact the film business once we get into maybe 2022, where perhaps we have vaccines and can go back to the movie theater safely. Yeah, I mean, it was a big development, but I think it was it was not the first thing. It was probably like the seventh thing for me because I keep seeing the news that's been happening over the last six to seven months as the theater and movie uh, industry has been reacting to pandemic. Um, just, you know, all the big summer movies and a lot of the ho Oscar hopeful movies that, you know, we were going to see all got pushed back to 2021. Um, so... I don't want to say movie theaters are dead, but they're definitely on the way down. Um, all there's an article I think was, I can't remember if it was in Variety or uh, one of the other big trade magazines fairly recently that talked about all, all the studios are now focusing on what they call direct to consumer, and that basically means video on demand 
or Blu-rays and things like that streaming or partnering with these other platforms like HBO Max or Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu or whatever, um, that that is where their their thought process is going for the future. Um, so I think what we're gonna, we're going to end up happening um, in the short term, the, the Warner Brothers deal, one thing that hasn't been talked about a lot, that is a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. So they basically have created that deal for 2021, and then it'll expire, and they'll have options to go back to 2022. And of course, they're not getting rid of theaters. They're also going to be in theaters. But if you have HBO Max, you can watch it on their thing. And it's creating this two-tiered system where you're going to have those hardcore cinephiles that really want to see the movies in the theater will still go. Um, And then you have the people that will pay for HBO Max, which I don't know how much that costs. I think that's a a premium service about costs more than Netflix or Amazon Prime or any of those. Things like ten to fifteen dollars a month. Yeah, something I think it's like fourteen ninety nine if yeah. you do it oh. Alexander. If you have HBO to begin with, it's included. Okay, so it's actually not any more expensive than any of the other ones. Then really, they're all in that that range. But you know, you got so many things. You got Hulu and Apple Plus. You know, and now 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 the legacy networks of TV, CBS, and them are each creating their own strata. This direct to consumer thing. You know, where the business model is all built on subscriptions it's a subscription mindset is we've got your credit card we're charging you for your 12 or 15 dollars a month every month and people will tend to just let that keep going even if they're wandering away from the service and not watching it as much um so i think what we're going to see is we're going to see still some of those big summer movies going into the theaters first the, the the superhero movies and the james bonds and the tom cruise movies and all that kind of stuff but we're going to start to see my a quick migration where a lot of things are going to go to these other platforms and they're not coming back. Um, and that's a shame. Um, but it's been, it's been this long slog for decades, you know, of, you know, the way it's been arranged is studios and distributors can be aligned. They can be the same company, but theaters had to be separated. So, so studios and distributors could not own theaters. That was the rule for 70 years. And there was just a landmark court case uh, a few months ago that separated that. So now, actually, studios could be completely vertical, own the studio, own the distributor, own the theater. And the ironic thing is that now that they're there, they probably don't want to be in the theater business. Well, that's interesting because you're a, a, somebody who's a student of film history, and you know that was an antitrust case from the early days of movies where uh, in the early days where the studios controlled everything, they controlled the theaters, and the government said, no, that's antitrust. And now we've kind of come full circle. Now the business model is quite different. I I wonder, you know, from a consumer's point of view, Chris, before I I branch out to the other, I'm curious what you think about this, because the streaming model up to now, outside of the Hulus and the HBOs, HBO Maxes, is $20 for a new first-run film. If you want to go stream a a new first-run film outside those uh, paradigms, you pay twenty dollars. I'm not or sure. More. I'm or more. It think, could be think, more. It could be more sometimes. I but think that's, Mulan, Mulan, and Trolls World Tour. I think those are both thirty. It was okay. So it's at least twenty for a real a new film that's rolled out. Uh, I'm not sure that model can be sustained. Do you? No, uh, and I think you know. Supposedly, Universal said Trolls World Tour did very well. They don't. That's the other thing. Is this? It used to be like every Monday you would get the box office numbers and everybody knew how well a movie was doing. And now we're in this world where everything's private. Uh, Disney Plus and Netflix aren't telling you how many people are actually watching the movies. 
uh, and how much money they're making from them or anything like that. So you don't really know. But from a consumer standpoint, yeah, I mean, we're having this big migration to uh, a new way of watching. And think people are going to find things out. So Mulan was interesting because that was going to the Disney Plus platform, but you had to, even if you had the Disney Plus platform, you had to pay $30 if you wanted to watch it like during its first three months or whatever it was. And I think right about now, it's just anybody can watch it on Disney Plus. So that's kind of like replicating the, the theatrical ideas like, well, you're going to pay a premium to see it in theater and then it's cheaper and easier to watch it on your TV later. But of course, the difference being is that it's all on your TV. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that's going to survive with uh, the big a big fee for $30 to see each movie. I mean, you can say something like Mulan. OK, you have you and your your spouse and two kids. And maybe you invite. Well, not these days, but uh, in better times, invite your friends over. So you've got like five to eight people actually watching it. And that's actually, you know, economically a pretty good deal. It's certainly cheaper than going to the theater and getting popcorn and drinks and all that kind of stuff. Um, which people don't never be seen to understand is movie theaters make almost no money on the movies. Mm-hmm. People don't realize that all of their profit comes from the concession. That's, that's absolutely where the money comes in. Um, so I wouldn't want to do that, but I mean, again, we're, we're trying to look at the playing field now as it is now and as it's been changing, but there's still other strata and things that could be happening. Like a lot of people aren't even aware there's this service out there, and I forget what it's called, like Movies First or something like this, um, where even before you know things went bad, these people could watch brand new theatrical movies in their home the day they came out in theaters. It was extraordinarily expensive. Um, so basically only the very wealthier Hollywood elite had this access. But I mean, the point is the infrastructure is there. So... We could be see, see something like that happen, where it's you're buying the movie uh, in your home, and maybe you're not paying thirty dollars, uh, but maybe something like that, like a, a premium premium thing, where you're paying a hundred dollars a month uh, for something like that, uh, and you get access to those first run movies for a month or whatever it could be. I don't know. I yeah. mean, yeah, I, I think. Opinion, I really think that's interesting the way you describe that because I think we're headed for new paradigms. And I'm going to ask Adam also to come in because I think, Adam, I've seen you on social media. You think this is the end of the movie theater as we know it. I'm not quite sure I'm with you on that, but I do believe that we're going to see a whole new business model. I think film uh, movie theaters are going to survive, but they're going to look a lot different than they do now. But uh, tell me uh, your view on how this new Warner Brothers decision will impact the future of films as we, you know, past 2021. I don't think my grandkids will be going to movie theaters. Um, I, I think that's true. I mean, I'm 36. Sometimes I say my children, my grandkids. Um, you know, people who are older than me saying, well, let's bring back the drive-in theater. The drive-in theater is not a sustainable economic model. It takes so much land to do a drive-in theater. You can only do it in rural areas and you cannot make back your investment of buying the land unless you're doing it for decades and decades. Um, And everyone brings in their own food so they don't make any money at these drive-in theaters. They're not bringing back the drive-ins. Also, the theaters are safe right now for COVID because no one's going. So... (laughs) <laughs> that's there's a very few people in the theater so i know some people are afraid to go because of covid but 
I think even when we have a vaccine and things are getting better, theaters are not going to magically go back to normal. The home theater experience has gotten too good for people. And here's the thing. I know I don't uh, say I'm old. I'm only 36. People younger than me, they don't have the same affinity for going to the movie theater that I have and that all of us do. They just don't. I talk to high schoolers at the re- uh, that work for me at the restaurant. They could care less about going to the movie theater. They're excited about seeing things streaming because that's the way they want to watch it. They don't even want to go to a movie theater to watch anything anymore. So, uh, and now that the only reason they were going to movie theaters is if Avengers or something big came out, that was the only way to see it. Now that you provided them another option of getting HBO Max and watching Wonder Woman at home, they're going to choose that. I'll be honest, I'm going to choose that. Um, Even though I do enjoy going to the movie theaters, um, if you're going to say you get to save money, you get to start the movie at any time you want to stop, start it. You can pause it when you have to use the restroom. I'm going to choose that option. The only reason I would go to the theaters to see Wonder Woman is if it wasn't on streaming. Um, and I love going to the theater, but that's just the reality. Um, I think the world is changing. I think movie theaters will exist. Drive-in theaters still exist. They're not gone. They're just fewer of them. And we're going to see fewer movie theaters in the future. No one's going to be building a new movie theater. I hate to say that. And a lot of the existing movie theaters, some will stay open. Some theaters are going to close. We've got that, we've got a huge Goodrich, the old uh, Goodrich movie theater complex. Uh, Adam, you and I talked to the uh, manager several years ago on a film podcast. And the fact is, that's empty now. Now, some of those Goodrich uh, theaters did reopen, but the one in Noblesville, that very big complex with the IMAX theater, has not opened. And uh, to me, that might be a barometer. If nobody ever buys that, it just sits there. I think that's a bad omen. Alec Toombs, you're the last person to get, you get the last word on this issue. Your view on the Warner Brothers situation and the future of the movie theater. There is one element uh, about this that we haven't discussed. When the movies are on HBO Max, they are only going to be there for one month. As far I think I've read. I don't know if anybody else has seen this also. Um, and they will be playing concurrently in theaters. I, I'm afraid Adam's probably right. I think there's probably going to be less theaters and more people opting to watch at home. I still go to the movie theater because I'm a crazy person. I'll just mask up and try to stay the hell away from other people. But... Um, it looks kind of bleak right now. Well, as somebody who's already been through COVID, I try to stay away from other people too. So, and I went to the movie theater a couple of times. Now that I've been through this, I've, I've stayed away from theaters uh, because I think they do the best they can, but I'm not sure there is a safe way to go to a movie theater right now. It's just the nature of the virus. It's not a criticism of anybody in the film business. I kind of think that I'm kind of with Chris in a, in a way on this because I believe that there will be a film theater business, but I think it's going to be a different model. It may be a niche. It kind of goes with what Adam said, too. Theaters will be around, but they may not be around in the way we have seen them, where they will always get the first uh, dibs on the big budget films and what and it, a lot this is also i think a commentary on the advancements that have been made in home theaters i mean if you want to do up the home theater right you can get a 55 inch screen you can get enhanced uh, audio so as long as that continues to move that technology moves forward I, I think we're going to see more people watching in the home when it's available to them i think chris t- t- touched on something too how much are people going to be willing to pay for this 
Uh, there'll be a certain point where you know the consumers just aren't going to go any higher than that. And I think uh, those markets are going to be tested in, in the years to come. Okay, one last uh, item I want to uh, touch on here, and I'm going to bring Christopher Lloyd in. Chris, you've, uh, as a member of the Indiana Film Journalists Association and also with all the other reviews that you do and, and the, awards, uh, 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 the awards voting that you do, uh, you've probably screened more films than I have and probably the other two of us have. So uh, really curious, and you may not have seen everything yet. I think you mentioned that you still got some films uh, in your queue to watch. But I'm curious from what you've seen so far. Uh, we've talked about some of them here. Uh, maybe bring up some. <coughs> excuse me. Bring, sorry about that. Bring up some films we haven't talked about yet. Sure. Um, so some of my favorite films of the year. Um, and again, it's, it's a different year uh, because, like, normally right now we'd be in the thick of all the Oscar bait movies coming out, and we're not really see- we're seeing some of that. Um, but not so much. So, but I've seen a nice spread from earlier in the year. Um, strangely, a couple of movies that I really enjoy that I probably would not have is uh, adaptations of very uh, old intellectual properties. Uh, so uh, the personal history of David Copperfield um, was just magnificent. Uh, Dev Patel in that. Uh, just a lovely, lovely told story. Colorful, bright cast all around. Uh, I really enjoyed that a lot. Another one was Emma um, with uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, and she is terrific. And that was directed by a young female director. I don't think it's her directorial debut, but one of her early films. And also just an amazing film to look at and enjoy and the performances. Those are going to be in my top 10. Um, Maybe some ones we mentioned, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Mank um, that maybe aren't on – well, one I know this on some people's radar is Nomadland. Uh, that stars the great Frances McDormand and another clear, very clear Oscar Beatty kind of performance playing a woman who lives in her van by choice and just kind of uh, lives around the country working itinerantly and just sort of having a free, but very quiet, still contemplative movie. But I thought very, very uh, engrossing for me. And that, that'll make my top 10, I think. I mean, again, I'm saying that now. I mean, I could easily see 15 more movies that I'll like more in the next couple of weeks. Um, one I just saw a couple, three nights ago, which I don't think is on anybody's radar, is News of the World. Have you guys even heard of News oh, of yes. the World? I have it's absolutely heard of it. I have heard of it. Tell us what uh, what you know about it. Uh, so I've seen it. It's very good. Probably like if I was voting right now, it would probably make my top 10 list towards the bottom end of the top 10 list, but that's Paul Greengrass for celebrated British director and Tom Hanks. It's a Western set in the years after the civil war, but this guy where his job is, uh, in the days when, you know, even newspapers were hard to get a hold of and many people didn't read or they worked sun up to sundown and didn't have time to read is they would gather for these events where he would just pull out stories from newspapers locally in the state and around the country and read them to people. And it was a sort of like combination journalist slash town crier slash just storyteller uh, kind of role. Uh, and he is charged with, he found a, a girl who was kidnapped by Indians years before, doesn't speak English, and he's charged with taking her back to her. his family has to make this journey. Uh, Paul Greengrass and Tom Hanks, I think, both in fine, fine form. I'm glad to hear that. I've heard a buzz about uh, News of the World, and I'm glad you kind of filled in some of the blanks I wasn't familiar with. Look forward to seeing that as well. Um, 
Adam Austin, any other films this year that you've seen that you may want to discuss? So it came out, I think, last week. But on Hulu, they have an original film that is uh, new, new for everybody called The Happiest Season. And it's made some headlines because it is a traditional Christmas story, like one you would see on Netflix or the Hallmark Channel. But it's told with an LGBT storyline. The story, uh, a lesbian couple, um, one girl asks her girlfriend to uh, come home and meet her family for Christmas. And then uh, on the drive there, she says, oh, I forgot to tell you, they don't know I'm gay and they think you're just my roommate. So this is probably something that's uh, happened many times in real life, but it's actually pretty good because it's got a great cast. The two leads are actually pretty boring. Um, uh, Kristen Stewart and who was the girl from Tully? That Mackenzie Davis. Mackenzie she was Davis. in the last Terminator movie. Yeah, they were kind of dull in the leads, but the supporting cast is great. You got Dan Levy from Schitt's Creek, Allison Brie, um, Aubrey Plaza, and then uh, there's this uh, new actress, uh, Mary Holland. She had a very small role on Veep. She wrote the screenplay, and she steals the show as one of the weird sisters. So it doesn't break the mold. It's kind of your traditional Christmas movie. But I think that's what they were going for. I think they wanted something that um, was just like any other Christmas movie that people like, but it just happened to tell uh, an authentic LGBT storyline. So uh, if you aren't offended by that sort of thing, uh, I recommend this movie. I enjoyed it. And let me go to Alec Toombs. Uh, I know you said you've uh, had more quantity than quality lately, but uh, looking at the entire year, uh, some uh, high spots of what you've seen that maybe we haven't mentioned yet. Sure. Um, There's one I saw in the theaters about a month, month and a half ago called Synchronic that I thought was excellent. A lot of people haven't seen it because they're smarter than me and they're not going to movie theaters, but I I really enjoyed this movie. It's uh, made by... Indie horror darlings Benson and Moorhead. It uh, stars Anthony Mackie and uh, Jamie Dornan. It's not so much a horror movie, more of a sci-fi movie. It was a very emotional movie. It was filmed in New Orleans. I loved it. Well, I don't know. I I think this is one of the best uh, podcasts we've had, and I really appreciate everybody's contribution. I will say one thing to dovetail what uh, Christopher said, I did like the David Copperfield film, and I wasn't really sure what to, what to expect, but that was a, a beautifully shot film. The cinematography was outstanding, and, and everything was that you mentioned I would agree with on that. So, uh, gentlemen, I want to thank you very much uh, for joining us. Uh, we've been talking with our two gentlemen who write for GreatAMovies.com, Alec Toombs and Adam Lawson. We're very happy to have as our guest Christopher Lloyd, one of the founders of the local film review site FilmYap.com, which I believe uh, Adam and Alec have both done some writing there. Uh, and Christopher Lloyd, we will be looking forward uh, to the uh, uh, decisions made by the Indiana Film Journalists Association later on this month. I always am interested to see uh, what consensus you reach there. So, gentlemen, thank you very much. Have a great week, and uh, hope you enjoy your week. Watch a film in whichever platform you wish to do so, and I would simply ask everyone to be kind and be safe.